Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, PEBC Lab hosts Jeff Lewis and Jamie Saltarelli are joining us to talk about how the PEBC teaching framework comes to life in their fourth grade classrooms in Denver, Colorado. Over the years, I have had the honor to visit their classrooms multiple times, and each and every time, I am struck by their engaging and inclusive classroom community they have established for each and every learner. I'm also struck by the incredible partnership that they have established as colleagues and co-teachers. As the 2021 school year begins, Jeff and Jamie will both begin with virtual and remote instruction. So today we're going to be unpacking what does it mean to plan for understanding in a time of uncertainty? Jamie and Jeff, welcome to the podcast. I know that teachers love to hear other teachers' stories and to get to know them. So let's start with you, Jamie. Tell us a little bit about you, uh, your teaching philosophy and beliefs, and then we'll hear from Jeff. Thanks, Michelle. It's great to be here. Um, I have been in the classroom and been fortunate enough to be at Bill Roberts for, I don't know, 13-something years now. Um, and... I went through my undergrad, went through my master's, was full on into education, thought it was great. And then I started working with the PBC and realized that I got through all of that schooling without learning about the thinking strategies. And so I had this big aha, like, oh, this is what makes sense. Like, this is um, really what makes teaching flow for me. And so I feel like since then, um, Jeff and I have been fortunate enough to work together and continue to work with the PBC. Um, and it's just been great. Thank you. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Um, I've been at Bill Roberts for um, 11 or so years, always taught third and fourth grade. Um, Jamie and I um, have taught together that uh, during our entire time at Bill Roberts, my entire time at Bill Roberts. Um, and uh, we platoon, and so I am um, the math uh, science teacher. Jamie teaches literacy, and then we do as much co-teaching as we can on the social studies side. Um, and so, in a uh, in a normal school year, we have um, our students go back and forth between um, our classes. So a class would be with me in the morning. Till eleven thirty or so, um, doing math and science, and then switch over to Jamie's class um, classroom to uh, do literacy, and then um, I would get her kids in the afternoon. So we platoon, and um, that's how we'll move forward this year. And um, and yeah, felt very fortunate to be associated with PBC and to work with Jamie um, this entire time to just sort of continue to build um, year to year. Great. Well, thank you both for those introductions. I know that as we spend time together this morning, we're going to unpack a couple different themes. One thing we want to talk about are those core beliefs or those instructional practices that you not only feel most passionate about, but that you think really support student understanding and agency. And so thinking, you know, within the context of remote learning and planning and teaching within the midst of the pandemic, we also want to really remember 
which instructional practices make the biggest impact on students. So I think we'll start there. And then I think we're going to shift into how do we plan for the unknown? And then maybe wrap up by talking a little bit about collaboration and how you know we collaborate with colleagues to really elevate the best in each other's practices and beliefs and, and support one another. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. Sounds great. All right. So let's just jump into instruction right off the bat. We know the PEBC teaching framework um, really illustrates the connections between planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment. And we know that those elements of instruction come together to support student agency, student equity, and understanding. So I'd love to hear from each of you, and maybe we'll start with Jeff, which of those strands is kind of your bread and butter? What is, when you think about yourself as a designer for student agency, equity, and understanding, which of those strands is first and foremost for you? And then we'll hear from Jamie. Yeah, for me, the one that really rises to the top is is workshop. Um, the workshop has always I've I've always felt like that was very important because it gives me a structure um, to think about uh, when I'm planning, and um, also of course gives that structure to kids. They have that predictable structure. They know what's going to happen from lesson to lesson. Um, the uh, idea that this composing time is so large, the time that kids are really doing the thinking um, is is so large has really appealed to me. And I've always thought over the years that I really have to minimize uh, my mini lesson, keep that mini lesson mini. mini. Um, and what that does for me is I feel like it really sharpens my focus and makes me really think about um, what is absolutely most important for me to convey to kids before they go off into that composing time. Um, and then, of course, the reflection time at the end to sort of wrap it all up um, has been really important. Just a real a quick sort of temperature of the room, sort of figure out where kids are at, a um, quick assessment and what the takeaways are from from um, from the day. And so it really kind of helps me uh, plan my lessons and plan my thinking around that workshop. That's what rises to the top for me. Wow, thanks, Jeff. So for you, that structure, the structure of the workshop model, provides ample time for students to do the heavy lifting and the thinking and the collaboration and the discourse. And as an instructor, as a teacher, it narrows your focus to what's most important. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's there's it, it really builds that trust too, because I think that there's so much time, there's ample time for me to be interacting with students um, around their thinking that. Um, you know, puts the onus on them, but then I think it also helps them to really uh, realize that in my classroom, they're the ones who are in charge of the thinking. Hmm. So then also thinking about the structure of workshop as a way to build community. And then also not to, not to miss the, the fact that you made or the point that you made, that reflection time actually gives you a lot of information that helps you be even more precise or more focused the next day. Yes, absolutely. Great. Thank you. So, Jamie, for you, which of those strands is, you know, right on the, the forefront of your mind as a planner? I have to say I'm always thinking with the thinking strategies in mind. For me, um, as a learner and an educator, um, as a teacher, that brings me the most joy in planning. Like, I... I love teaching those concrete lessons to help students understand what it means to infer or what it actually means to determine importance. Um, 
I love finding ways to help them connect them to their own lives. And then of course, um, see them doing the, using those strategies as tools um, in the midst of our learning in the classroom. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's bigger because I want kids to be metacognitive. I want them to be able to step back and say, okay, when I was not sure how to go about this problem or to tackle this issue, here's what I did. And here are the strategies I used in order to then hopefully use them again in the future. I, I have that fear that if we're just doing these things, because we are all doing them naturally, um, all of our students are, if we're doing those without naming them and really teaching them how they help us understand, then they're going to get lost in that classroom. They're not going to leave um, and go out and help them as they continue their educational career and then, you know, breaking out into the real world. Absolutely. So when your students, when you're thinking about instruction and planning, or when you're working with students and conferring, you're actually using that language with students. You're noticing and naming, monitoring for meaning, asking questions, schema, determining importance, inferring, synthesizing. That's part of your classroom language. That starts from day one. And so I know that I might be using terms and Jeff does the same thing, um, but we might be using terms that kids might not be 100% familiar with yet, um, but that we'll circle back around. And I would say by midway through the year, um, our students are also using that vocabulary. You know, I, I think back to when I was pretty early on with the thinking strategies work and I wasn't sure that I wanted these like nine and 10 year old robots walking around like I'm synthesizing, I'm inferring. Um, but the more, the more that I've worked with this and we've seen our students rise to this occasion, they're completely capable as we know. Um, but I think our goal is they're not going to walk around like that forever, but it's that idea of we really have to use the language, hear the language to understand it. And then in the future, um, of course, they'll widen their vocabulary. Um, but yeah, in our fourth grade classroom, I mean, we joked the last couple of years, we take out the word think in about January. So, you know, instead of students saying, I think they're being forced to, oh, uh, what kind of thinking am I doing? Oh, I'm inferring. Um, and so just little pushes like that to help kids really own their thinking. Wow. So we go from <clears throat> kind of providing this vocabulary, noticing and naming, then really thinking about those strategies as a way to be metacognitive and have a deeper understanding of content or text. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we know it, that you're heading into probably the most surreal school year you will ever <laughs> have the opportunity to teach. And with that, there's lemons and lemonade, right? There's, there's parts of this month that are really, really stressful. And um, there's also perhaps a little bit of excitement in terms of what's coming up. So I'd love for us to talk about remote learning. You are both very, very efficacious and really, really optimistic educators. You always have gone into challenges together in ways that are collaborative and really generative. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is we know your students haven't started yet and you haven't started remote teaching, but let's talk about planning. How are you going about it? So when you think about your planning practices, have they shifted or changed? Uh, 
what do you, how do you want to approach planning as individuals and as, as a team? I I will jump in and just say, we're still working on it. We're not exactly sure, but here's where we've started. Um, you know, Jeff and I talk continuously over the summer and we've had time to reflect on last spring's remote learning. And I feel like there's kind of two camps when people talk about planning for um, <clears throat> teaching remotely. Some people, there's that idea like it's it's not the same. It's not going to be the same. You have to, I mean, we have to do things differently. And I can appreciate and see that side. And then there's the side that I feel like we sort of feel comfortable with. Like, yes, it's different, but we know our best practices. We know what works for students and for us as teachers. And so let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, let's keep what we know. Um, And I think, Jeff, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that's where we felt most comfortable in our conversations. For sure. I mean, I think that's definitely true. And, and, um, it's, as I said before, when I was talking about workshop, I feel like it's, it's really refined our thinking in terms of how we, um, approach like right now, as we're thinking at the beginning of the year, kids being with us in about 10 days or so. Um, you know, when we think about the beginning of the year and setting up all those rituals and routines, for example, we're going to keep that the same, but it's really refined our thinking in terms of how do we transfer those things into remote learning. So, for example, we always make contact, contact with our kids prior to the school year by sending them a postcard. And so we're, we're trying to think of how do we refine that process so that we can um, make a greater connection with them. So it's not simply an introduction uh, to us, but also how can we get something back from them so we can start building community um, right from the get-go. Um, we do some routines at the beginning, like an all-about-me uh, bag where kids come in and bring in in that first week some things, uh, some objects that um, tell us about them. How do we take that? Because we can't do that in person now. So how do we take that and transfer it um, to distance learning? And so do, how do we, do we take some kind of all-about-me board that they can create digitally um, and share with us? So I I feel like, yes, we, we have to keep things the same um, because we know what works, but it's really refined our thinking in terms of how do we, how, how do we make that work for digital, digital learning? Because it is very, obviously, it's really different than being in the classroom. So the core belief around building community and your students knowing one another well and you knowing your students and your students knowing you hasn't changed. What's changed is the kind of the structure or the platform with remote learning. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so I think if anything, it's making us think even more about purpose, mm. right? Um, and because we know, like selfishly, we'd love to have our kids online all day, just like we would in the classroom, but we know that's also not feasible for adults or children. Um, so really, I feel like weighing out that synchronous and asynchronous time. And so, okay, when we have them, because we've always as teachers felt like we have a, don't have enough time, right? right? It's limited. So when we do get them for the synchronous time, what does that look and sound like? Knowing that it'll still be a workshop uh-huh. of some sort, right? 
But then, so then what can we release for them to do on their own to then bring back to that next whole group? So I think purpose is really important. What do they need to do? Knowing I can't look over their shoulder, but I can pull them in small groups via chat rooms or different links for me. Um, but when we're all together, what is the purpose and what's like, how do we do that the most efficiently? Mm-hmm. And I think when we, when we think back to doing this in the spring, there was a real kind of push and pull between, um, you know, this sense of purpose and saying, is what I'm doing right now, you know, because obviously we worry about connectivity, like are we connecting with everyone? Is everyone um, engaged? When we are planning and we're doing a lesson or we're um, putting together some work that we need the kids to do, are we doing that just because we want to hold them accountable um, and make sure that they're connecting? Or, And I think the way we're kind of shifting this year is we want to move beyond just this you're clicking a button and I know that you've turned it in. And so if you've turned it in, you must have been there and, and, and learning something, <laughs> but right. really kind of bumping up that, um, that engagement. And so when we're refining our thinking and really thinking about purpose, it's about um, how do we elevate it beyond just um, clicking the turn in button. So when we think about your planning so far on the top of your mind is creating a workshop structure that can be implemented in a remote environment. So there still will be time for mini lessons, whole group instruction. There will still be time for independent and collaborative work, as well as supporting small groups and conferring. And you're also really thinking about that work time in terms of quality task or a juicy task, that the work that students are doing needs to be worthy of their time so we're not just in that completion, click, move on kind of trend that was happening in the spring because that's where we were. Yeah. What's worth showing up for? Okay. Right? That's a great question. What's worth showing up for? So let's let's talk specifically about the two hats that you wear. Jamie, you tend to think a lot about the literacy standards and your cohort of students as readers and writers. Jeff, you lean into the STEM area, really thinking about your young mathematicians as problem solvers and as scientists and designers. So knowing that you co-plan with the workshop in mind and thinking strategies in mind, Jeff, tell us a little bit about what are you thinking about on that math STEM side? And then Jamie, let's hear a little bit about, you know, what's worth showing up for on the literacy side. Um. You know, on the math side, I, um, I, I think it can be easy to. I don't know if it's easier on the math side than literacy, but it's it's easy to sort of slip into this. Um, you know, that idea of they get the right answer and that's the goal, which it isn't. And so I, I have to go back to really thinking about planning in terms of how do I get those juicy tasks? How can I um, incorporate those so I can really get at um, uh, students um, thinking, you know? And so um, really thinking about that as being the main purpose. Um, And so, I mean, I just keep going back to workshop. I think it's about having to really refine down using the curriculum that we're giving, really given, 
really refine down what's the most important um, information that I need to share with them in that mini lesson and really expand that work time so I can get at what um, what they're, uh, where their thinking is. And in terms of the technology, I feel like one of the lessons that I learned was that it, we almost really need to simplify the, um, the platforms that we're using. And it might make, it, it, it would probably be as effective, if not more effective for kids to be using pencil paper and maybe holding up their answer to the camera than it is to try to incorporate some of these great tools that we're so enthusiastic about using. Um, and, you know, to try and kind of relieve this, this barrier as much as we can, this technology. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, you're thinking a lot about your entire curriculum, the amount of time you have with students to prioritize kind of that curriculum really rich, juicy tasks that are just more than fluency practice for your young mathematicians. But then this idea of returning to paper pencil is really is really intriguing. What is your thinking, and you mentioned access, that some of the apps and some of the, the technology can be limiting and isn't equitable for all students. But why else are you drawn to kind of paper pencil sharing work that way? Yeah, I think it's also about... Um it's also about recording your own thinking and, and um, it's about both me and the student being able to take a look at how they're tackling a problem. And I think that when looking at like standards for mathematical practice, like creating that, that model um, and um being able to sort of assess along the way, but also have a real understanding of what's going on in the student's head. And then also being able to acknowledge because inevitably a student will hold up what their sketch is about a particular problem. And it kind of blows my mind. It's not at all the way I would have done it, or maybe I'd seen from another student, but um, really having that opportunity to acknowledge, like, I totally see what you're thinking is and where you're going with that. Keep going. Or how can we make this more clear for yourself? And how would that model transfer maybe to a different problem? So I think it's really a good opportunity to really get into kids' heads and sort of see what's going on in their mathematical thinking. Wow. Really honoring thinking. So Jamie, let's talk about literacy. What's, what's let's happening? talk about literacy. Uh, I, there are things we have control over and things we don't. And some of them are the curriculum that we're being asked to use as either a guiding force or as a tool to pull from. Um, and so when I think about that, I, I have lots going on. So like, for example, my first unit is about poetry, one would think, um, but really not it's, you know, about citing evidence and, you know, forming these really exciting race responses, not really exciting. Um, and so how do we meet our standards, but yet in this time, especially engage people. And like we said, make it worth showing up for. And so I think as I've been thinking about this, I know that a whole group discussion on our text, which is amazing love that dog by Sharon Creech, like what we would do in the classroom when we'd come cozy up on our rug and we'd share our thoughts and 
it's, it's just not the same always on Zoom or Meet. And so where I am really, I think, headed is the more small groups we can have, the better. When we're in the classroom, of course, we're doing small group work. And then typically my conferring is all one-on-one. Um, I, I can't say all, the majority of it, especially during reader's workshop, because I want to hop in with them with their just right book. I think my thoughts are shifting a little bit in the fact that as we're reading this class novel, I want to be meeting with small groups so I can really hear everyone's voice. Um, and we can have those mini kind of book club conversations about the text. So it might be less of perhaps they're just right or independent book and maybe a little more on our class text, which is different than the classroom. But if I think about my biggest, you know, my biggest bang for my buck, then I think I have to be meeting with kids. Like ideally, I want to be meeting with each kid every day in a small group. I could maybe do that individually. Totally unrealistic. Absolutely. Because you're, when we're not in the classroom, elbow to elbow with kids, you probably have both already talked about this and acknowledged that there's so much information that we take in from a visual scan and looking over shoulders that that is, that feels like an obstacle for a lot of teachers right now. So having those small groups and that opportunity to have proximity that way is going to mitigate some of that for you, Jamie, is what it sounds like. Yes. And I think for me, it's really important to be talking with the kids about it. Like, yes, I want to see their writing about their thinking, but I know that I can gain a lot more from our conversations and then I can help them get it on paper. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think leading to that, there's this other idea that I really, Jeff and I have talked about, we want to stress is that idea that you're responsible for your own learning, but also your classmates. And so, yes, each year we spend time on how do we work in a group and how do we, you know, we talk about what does it mean to listen? You know, how do we talk to each other respectfully? How do we um, give feedback in a kind way, um, but yet push them or give a meaningful compliment? All of those things that we work on throughout the entire year, I feel the sense of urgency to really, really, really focus on at the beginning to also know that I'm not going to be that only teacher and there's no way we can be. So when we do break up into these small groups, we want students stepping up and really being able to help each other to have these conversations where they walk out and they're like, oh, I'm either thinking about something differently or I had an aha. So I think that's another focus that we've talked about So even if it's not a class book, but maybe you're in small book clubs separately or you're meeting with, you know, in our classroom, we had reading partners. Maybe they're still meeting with their reading partner daily. But how can that happen without me being present? Absolutely. So when I listening to Jeff talk about kind of the math side and Jamie, you talking about the literacy side, my mind is just going right to that engagement triangle of fostering engagement, like behavioral engagement, right? Like what am I supposed to do when and how am I supposed to do it? Kind of a little bit about compliance, like where am I supposed to be and what am I supposed to be doing? But then you both really amplified the importance of emotional and cognitive engagement. So that emotional engagement is 
what are my relationships with those I'm learning with? My student-to-student relationships, student-to-teacher relationships, and then also what's my relationship with the content? Why would I care? Why do I want to solve this problem? Why do I want to build this mental model? Why do I want to engage in this book club? And then the cognitive side. You're still both expecting students to become better readers and writers. And so you really have your eye on those standards as well and your curriculum, but you're also noticing that it's going to have to shift a little bit because of the remote context right now. It's brilliant. I think it, it, so going back to how we started, it will be different, right? Mm -hmm. And to get that engagement, it definitely has to be different, but we can keep our structures and our rituals and routines the same, Mm -hmm. similar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, Also, when we start to plan and we think about curriculum and when we're, you know, when we begin engaging kids in the math curriculum or the literacy curriculum, we keep coming back to this, you know, building that emotional, um, you know, the emotional side of it, the connection side of it is, is, is of foremost importance, you know, because then um, all the things that Jamie just said, in addition to like building an idea of growth mindset. Also, kids having, I sit here and and listen to Jamie talk and think about like all these kids we want to catch before they, you know, before they completely are lost, you know, those kids who who might be struggling with the concept. And and so they have to be comfortable with this idea that we may, we all make mistakes and mistakes are what help uh, help our brains grow. And that's what helps us um, become better learners. So trying to catch those kids as well. And, and. You know, they don't even know us yet. And so trying to build that, you know, foster that community is going to be super important for us. And then circling back to what I said about curriculum, like there are things we have control over and things we don't. And both Jeff and I are tied to certain things in our classrooms and in our content. But in an area we do have more flexibility is social studies which we love to team teach. And so we've talked about flipping our whole order of our units. Like, why wouldn't we start with our government unit right now? With everything going on in our world right now, in our country right now, with an election coming up, like trying to be a little more mindful about the things we do have control over. And can we be wiser about maybe our sequence of those? So as designers, you're really thinking about those three elements of the planning strand from the PEBC continuum or the PBC framework. How do we plan for people? What's our purpose? And what's our process? And it's just been really interesting to hear you both, you know, bouncing ideas off one another and sharing your ideas with us. As we wrap up today, I do want to think a little bit about teacher collaboration and teacher collegiality. Uh, You are used to teaching next door in the same building. You have lots of rituals and routines for planning at school, bumping into each other in the hallway, having lunch together, having some common planning time. I know that you set aside different afternoons or evenings or mornings when you can connect. As you move into your role as remote teachers, um, each from your own separate homes, how will you maintain the collegiality and collaboration that you fostered over the last couple of years? This is something we haven't talked about yet. Um, but 
Last spring, we were co-teaching. So we brought all of our kids together because we wanted that comfort of if I was leading a lesson, Jeff could be the facilitator and getting used to tech. And so last spring, we lived on Google Meet all day together. We just remain on Mm -hmm. um, and we plan. And and so this year, that's going to change. But um, I mean, I haven't spoke to you about this, Jeff, but I mean, we, (laughs) we have lunch together every day in the building. And that is a time when we are talking about, "Mm, I noticed this about this kid today, or, you know, somebody said this, or this amazing thing happened. It's really talking about kids. We typically are not getting down to the nitty gritty planning during lunch, but we're talking about our students. Um, And so that's something that might continue, like we're apart, but we can still be on meet or on the phone. Um, I think... I, I know us and just working together, like we have to be talking every single day um, because not only are we talking about our students, Jeff's my thought partner. So I'm, t- I'm planning literacy, but I'm bouncing ideas off of him. And we're trying to find those common threads. When can we weave it together? We're both kicking off with a monitoring for meaning study. Like we need to be talking about what does that look like in your classroom and ours? So I think our families are pretty understanding that we are either on the phone or on the computer with each other most of the day. Mm -hmm. We used to to preempt a phone call with a text. Hey, do you have a second? I'm going to give you a call. Now we just call. We just (laughs) don't bother with the text anymore. Um, So yeah, we're talking constantly. And I think that the last thing that Jamie said um, is also really important about like, what are those common things that we're doing? And and it comes back to... um, the framework, you know, thinking about, like we've talked about monitoring for meaning is where we're really going to focus in. And I think that in remote learning, um, it, it's really sharpened that conversation for us. Like we, re- we really have to be on the same page. Um, and then also, you know, the other thing that we have um, really been focused on is, is making the workshop visible in our classroom. So we know what the, what the workshop uh, that wheel looks like, but but it's also visible in our classrooms, and we feel like it's really important for kids to understand those components. And so I know that's something that we will continue to do remotely. So so those things that appear in the framework, I think, are the things that we are are really talking about, making sure that the kids are going to see when they're with us, and they're also going to see see with me, but they're also going to see with Jane. I just want to thank both of you so much for your time today. I know that this week is probably one of the busiest weeks. Um, you know, a back to school week that you've ever, ever had. So I really appreciate your time and your thinking and your energy. So as a way to close, let's, um, let's wrap up with a last word or a phrase. What are you thinking about as you head into the rest of your day and into this week of planning? And then finally, finally being able to meet your kids and start teaching. You know, it's funny because in the circumstances it's different and it's remote and there's mixed feelings, but I still have that sense of excitement. Like it doesn't feel any different. Like I'm so excited to be back with my colleagues and to be, I stayed up last night writing my postcards to my students. Like I'm excited for what this year will bring. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I think, uh, Jamie and I share this sense of um, this idea that it's it, it's yet another challenge. Every every school year brings a new challenge, and this is certainly an exceptional one. I mean, um, 
it, it's kind of turned our world upside down, but it's, but it's yet another challenge that we can, um, you know, helps, like I said, sharpen our focus and, and really think uh, really deeply about how we're going to approach the year. And I look forward to the challenge. Great. Well, and my last word is appreciation and gratitude. Uh, you two are both phenomenal and it's been such a pleasure to spend the morning with you and I wish you a great day and a great week and a great year. And I can't wait to check in and hear how it's going. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. <laughs>